It's uh, so good to see all of you. And uh, this service is crazy. Y'all like 11 o'clock. Well done. Um, this, is, this is, yeah, you get to sleep in. That's what it is. You want to watch the first half of a football game and then come to church. I see what you're doing. But it's, uh, it's great to be here. And uh, I'm so glad that you're in the house today. So thank you for coming to church. And, uh, uh, you know, before I get started, I want to honor my wife. This is Rachel. And uh, stand up and say hi to the people, babe. And this is my son, Levi. He wants to wave, too. And uh, uh, let me just say, I I love your church. Um, Every person that I get to meet here, you guys are so friendly, so kind. I got to worship next to Miss Betty this morning. And uh, you are awesome. You are incredible. So I just, I love this house, and really it comes from your leadership. Um, Pastor Lance is one of the most genuine humans on the planet. I was telling someone in the back, when he stares in your eyes, it's like someone staring into your soul. And, uh, you know, I remember my wife and I, we, we helped launch the, the Roseville location for the Father's House in 2018, and we were in our late 20s and had no idea what we were doing. We were scared out of our minds, and we get invited to go to this, this pastor's lunch, so Pastor Lance and a bunch of the um, um, kind of influential pastors in the region, they actually throw a lunch for new pastors welcoming them to Sacramento, which, by the way, is unheard of. That does not happen. Um, but we get set at this table next to Pastor Lance, Bishop Parnell Lovelace, and Pastor Francis Anfuso. And uh, uh, for the next hour and a half, these guys encouraged us and prayed for us. I remember at one point, I'm sitting down, and Pastor uh, Bishop Parnell comes up behind me and gives me this big hug, and he says, I'm so glad you're here. And I'm like, we're going to make it. (laughs) We're going to be all right. And, uh, you know, uh, so I I love your house. I love your pastors. I love what God is doing here. And um, uh, so my wife and I, we've been married for 11 years this past November, and uh, we have our, our kids, Levi and Livy. There'll be a little picture that pops up on the screen so you can see my beautiful children. Yep, yep. I'm trying to monetize their beauty at some point, pay for the, the college fund, you know, whatever that looks like. But, but we're enjoying the journey. God is good. And um, I'm excited to teach today because I know you've been in a 40-week series on the book of Acts. Y'all, that's an accomplishment. You've gone through the book of Acts like verse by verse. That does not happen very often. So well done you. You've been talking about the empowered church. And we're talking about an empowered church. We're talking about living spirit-filled and spirit-led. And, uh, you know, what I want to talk about today, and in a moment we're actually going to jump to Acts chapter 1, because I thought it would be appropriate to end where you started the year. And the thesis of what we're going to talk about today is very simple. It's the power has a purpose. The power of God that you are called to walk in, that this church is called to operate in, has a purpose. And uh, so before we, we, we jump in any deeper, let's pray one more time, invite the Spirit of God to be here. So Holy Spirit, we need you. And uh, I thank you that your word is active, it's living, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so right now, Jesus, I pray that uh, just the gift of conviction would be in the room. Holy Spirit, we say, say whatever you want to say. Have your way. Do what you want to do. God, if there's anything in our lives that doesn't line up with Scripture right now, we say that we will submit to whatever you say to us. And God, we give you the honor. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, You know, I've been, I was raised in a pastor's house, and uh, I've been in ministry for for just over 12 years myself. And so I know when you talk about a spirit-filled life or a spirit-led life, 
There can be a lot of different connotations or baggage that comes with that phrase. And now there's people in this room that come from all different walks of life and different backgrounds. And, and uh, when, when someone spe- says spirit-led, spirit-filled, there, there's different understandings of what that might mean. And, and it reminds me of my marriage a little bit. Um, my wife and I are, some people call stubborn. I prefer spirited. We are passionate individuals, and uh, we're extreme. Some say dramatic. I, I don't like that phrase as much, um, but, but we like what we like, and we've worked through some of the stuff in our 11 years of being married. Um, but let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, so, so I prefer our home and any environment we're in to be comfortable in temperature. I just want it to be livable. I want to be able to enjoy my life when I'm in my home, in my car. My wife wants it to be Siberia at all times. And I'm not joking when I say our house is set at 61 degrees. You hear that? Amen. (laughs) 61 degrees. And so she's comfortable. If I'm in a parka and earmuffs, she's like, good. That's... That's what I was hoping for. And so we'll get in the car, and it's always just too hot and fan, and she'll crank it all the way cold, and I'm like, oh. And so I'm petty, so I grab it and crank it all the way hot and turn her seat warmer on. And we just have this battle back and forth all the way to the extreme. And, and what I've realized is so often in Christian circles, when it comes to matters of theology, we tend to be extreme. We got one camp all the way over here, one camp all the way over here, and I would say living by the Spirit, for the Spirit, full of the Spirit is no exception. Where you got one camp who, who you would call cessationist, who believe that all the gifts of the Spirit cease with the closing of the canon of Scripture, the death of the last apostle. So oftentimes these are folks that think that if you begin to talk about a Spirit-led, Spirit-filled life, that your entire church is going to end up barking like dogs and running around the room and screaming in tongues at the top of their lungs. But then you have another side that tends to be charismaniacs where the experience is just as important as worship to Jesus. Where our experience is elevated to essentially self-worship is what it becomes. And I would argue that neither one of those camps are biblical. But what the Bible would say is that you are called to live a spirit-filled, spirit-led life full of wisdom and common sense. My my pastor, Pastor Dave Patterson, likes to say we're faith-filled pragmatists, that we operate in faith, we live in faith, we walk in faith, we pray in faith, we lean on the power of God, yet we still understand we're on a planet that is messed up and in sin, and so we have practical common sense as well. In living a spirit-filled life, this is not simply a, a book of Acts theology, or it's not simply a, a, a theology that Paul expounds on in his letters to the church. This is a theology that starts in the Old Testament. In fact, when, when the Holy Spirit is poured out in Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and says, hey, what you're seeing is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel, where he says your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men, they're going to dream. Your young men are going to see visions. But Jesus actually promises that his church is going to be full of the Holy Spirit. So let me read some of that to you in John. And we're going to jump to John chapter 14, verse 15. 
And then we'll, we'll continue on here a little bit. But John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Verse 25, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. John chapter 15, verse 26, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth that goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. John chapter 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people don't believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and, will tell, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So this portion of scripture happens before the Passion Week. So Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm going to leave. It's actually better for you that I leave. Just think about that statement for a moment. These disciples had been with God in the flesh. They had seen tombs emptied, blind eyes opened, demons cast out of people. They had seen this guy walk on water and he's saying it's better. Because Jesus is going to build a church where every single person, which by the way, the church is not a building, it's a people. It is a congregation. He's saying, I'm building a church where every single one of us are actually temples of the Holy Spirit, where the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you, so it's for your good that I'm going away. And this gives us the context for Acts chapter 1, which I know you covered this 40 weeks ago, but we're going to go right back to the beginning. And as you know, in in the book of Acts, it's written by Dr. Luke. And really what Acts is is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through the church. And um, let me just pick it up in Acts chapter 1, verse 2. And I'm going to read it out of my paper Bible. My pastor is on a campaign to bring back the paper Bible. And there's just something about a paper Bible. Last night, I was using this, and I tried to scroll on it. <laughs> Subconsciously. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. What, what has happened to my brain? All right, Acts chapter 1, verse 2. It says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
So he said to him, it's not for you to know times or seasons the Father is fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and, you know, when we look at this portion of Scripture, there's this concept that pops up twice. I think there's a lot of concepts in Christian circles that we talk about, we sing about, and then hardly anyone can actually define what we're talking about or what we're singing about. And I think one of those concepts is the kingdom of God. So it says that, that Jesus, he, he teaches, so he, ra- he raises from the dead. We know later in Scripture there's over 500 eyewitnesses, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God. You know, uh, in Mark chapter 1, which most theologians believe Mark was the first gospel written, that Mark is actually sitting there as, as Peter is telling him the story of Jesus, and he's writing down everything that happened. In the first words of Jesus, in the first gospel written, he says, the time foretold has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe. So the kingdom of God, it's such a massive principle. It would not be inaccurate to say that the main thrust of the message of Jesus is that of the kingdom of God. He teaches about the kingdom. He gives parables about the kingdom. He tells some they're going to inherit the kingdom and others they're not going to inherit the kingdom. He teaches his disciples to pray where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to understand what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about the kingdom of God. And if you were to summarize what the kingdom of God in the most simple terms possible, the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. The kingdom of God is God's rule and God's reign. And and I want you to put on your theological hats here for a moment because I want to talk about some aspects of this kingdom because there's three different ones that we need to understand. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, first you have the eternal kingdom of God. Right, God is self-existent. No one created God. He creates all things, and all things are held together for him and made for him, for his glory. So his kingdom, his rule, his reign has always existed, and it will always exist. The problem is, we live in a sinful, broken planet. So we don't get to see the full extent of that rule and of that reign because we're looking through everything through a broken lens, through a lens marred by sin. And, and, and that leads us to the second aspect of the kingdom, which is the not yet. Because there is a day when he's going to deal with sin. And he's going to deal with death. And we will see Jesus as he is. Listen, there is a day when Jesus is physically going to split the clouds. And every single one of us are going to have to stand before Jesus and give an account for our lives. And listen, those of us who have put our lives in the hands of Jesus and made him the Lord of our life to look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we're gonna enter into an eternity with him. For the Bible says he wipes every tear from our eyes. There's no more sickness, sorrow, pain. And those who have rejected Jesus, they're gonna enter an eternity apart from him. That's the not yet aspect. But this is where it gets interesting. Because you got the eternal kingdom of God, you got the not yet, but you also have the now. See, God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, has given the church the ability to pull aspects of the not yet into the now. God God has given his church the ability to pull aspects of the eternal kingdom of God into our broken, fallen, messed up planet. Listen, that's why moments ago when we're singing, great are you, Lord, and hands are lifted and voices are lifted, the atmosphere shifts. 
Something changes. I'm looking around the room, and people are wiping tears out of their eyes, and like, I don't know what's going on. What is that? That's the not yet invading the now. That as, as the Bible says, we enthrone him on his praise, the kingdom of God shows up and things switch. See, I'm believing this church is going to enter into a season where the, where the presence of God is so tangible that those who have depression, anxiety, walk in and it's broken off of them in a moment. I'm believing this church is entering into such a season that those who walk in with cancer, in a moment without anyone even laying hands on them, the Holy Spirit begins to move and to heal people. The not yet, in the now. And, and you know, at, at our church, we've seen so many stories of people being healed of stage four cancer. Time and time and time and time again. We've seen people show up with walkers and canes and they literally forget they had it and as they're walking out to their car, they're like, oh, maybe I should bring that with me. We just baptized a guy this last weekend. He's an older gentleman that had a walker and he said, I forgot it at the church because I was so happy I got healed. That's the not yet invading the now. And hear me, you are called to walk in the power of God. You are called to live a life that is not mundane, that is not boring, but you get to walk in a power that is not your own because of the finished work of the cross. This is what we're called to. If your life is boring as a Christian, I would submit to you that maybe you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, as Christ followers, we're called to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And, 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 you know, another aspect of this is so important. There's two spheres where this kingdom operates. You have the corporate sphere. And this is where Jesus is in charge of everything. The Bible says the earth is his footstool. That the the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and he moves it as he wishes. We know he's in charge of world events. He's in charge of what happens on this planet. And, And what I've realized is there's a lot of Christians that are fine acknowledging the corporate reign of God. That he's in charge of everything. But there's another sphere, and that's the personal rule and reign of God. Hear me, God is not just interested in ruling over the world. He wants to rule over your heart. He's not simply interested in ruling over world events. He wants control of your day-to-day operations. He wants your heart, your mind, your soul. So if you are comfortable acknowledging the corporate but not the personal, you are not advancing the kingdom of God in a way you are called to. Listen, Jesus, he said, be holy as I am holy. And so some of us, we, we're fine acknowledging, no, Jesus is in charge. But listen, is he in charge of your sex life? Is he in charge of your finances? Is he in charge of your marriage? Is he in charge of how you parent? Is he in charge of your weekends? Jesus is not interested in compartmentalized Christianity. He wants all of you or none of you. In Revelation, he says, I want you hot or cold, and you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants all of you. The kingdom of God, listen, yes, he rules over all things, but the way he advances his kingdom is one heart at a time, one mind at a time, as people see the beauty and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. His kingdom come. So Jesus, he raises from the dead, and he's talking to his disciples, and, and I love that he's teaching about the kingdom of God right before he ascends to the Father. And I can't imagine how frustrated Jesus has to be. 
Because, you know, I mentioned one of the first things he says is, hey, the kingdom of God is here. One of the last things he says, and he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and his disciples say, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Like, these dudes still don't understand what Jesus is saying. It's like, I spent three years with you guys. You still don't understand this? They're expecting a physical king, a military king, to show up and get them out of Rome and oppression. And I love how Jesus responds because he essentially just says, it's none of your business. Let me read it. This is the words of Jesus. Verse 7, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And, and I want to tie all this together for us a bit. Because he says, it doesn't matter when the physical kingdom is coming back. When Jesus actually splits the cloud, what's most important is that you do what I've told you to do and you are who I've called you to be. He says, the Holy Spirit is gonna show up. I've called you to advance the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, and the way you're gonna do so is through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. One of the primary purposes for the power, hear me on this, the power is for a purpose And the power is to make you an effective witness to Jesus. The power is to fill you so that you can become a witness to the goodness of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus. We're called to be witnesses. And when you you jump into the Koine Greek here, the, the word for witness is the word martus. It's actually where we get the word martyr. And it means one who provides testimony. It means one who sees an event, experiences an event, and then gives testimony to what they had just seen and experienced. So clearly what Jesus is talking about in this context is that these guys had seen the resurrection of Jesus Christ physically. So he's saying, I want you to be a witness to what you've seen and what you've experienced, but you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. And the same is true of you and me. And You know, I think there's a misconception sometimes that sneaks into our Christian faith um, where we think that our faith with Jesus is private. We have a private faith. It's just me and Jesus whispering sweet nothings in each other's ears. And and I like to drink, I like to read my Bible as I drink my chai latte and and I take a picture of it perfectly and post it on Instagram first (laughs) so everyone knows I'm spiritual. And the colors are all aesthetic. But it's a private faith. It's me and Jesus. And and that idea is not biblical. And what it's influenced by is the Western culture of hyper-individualism. But the idea that you have a private faith is not a biblical idea. I heard a pastor say your faith is personal, but it is not private. You are called to a personal faith. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But there's nothing about our faith that's called to be private. That's why one of the first commands is to go public with your faith through the waters of baptism. Where you tell the world, I belong to Jesus. I have been bought and paid for. I'm no longer who I used to be. But the blood of Jesus has wiped me clean. You are called to be a witness. Your faith is not private. You're called to be a witness. And, and sometimes I think we, we think that the professional Christians are the witnesses, right? The guys on the stage. 
And, and Pastor Lance, he's a great witness. And Pastor Brian and the preaching team, they're, they're witnesses. But listen, the church is not built off the backs of a couple talented individuals. The church is built on every member realizing who they are, what's been done for them, you discovering your spiritual gifts, operating in them and giving testimony to the people around you of who Jesus is. We advance the kingdom of God by living a holy life, a pure life. That alone is a testimony, but also by opening our mouth and declaring the goodness of Jesus. You know, there's this old quote from St. Francis of Assisi that I think it's good, but I think it's been twisted to incubate immaturity in Christians, where he says, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Which I understand what he's saying, but I think a lot of people have used that to be lazy Christians. The truth is God has chosen the vehicle in his sovereignty of broken people to preach the gospel. One person at a time. The truth is, I will never know all the people in your life. Pastor Lance will never know all the people in your life. Could it be that God placed you there to be the one that leads them to Jesus, and if you abdicate your responsibility, they do not hear what they need to hear? And I love how you know, Paul talks about this in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he writes this second letter to the church in Corinth. And a lot of it was defending his own apostleship. And these false teachers that snuck into the church. And they're, they're beginning to cause division in the church. And they're telling people to doubt the apostolic anointing of a lot of the different apostles, primarily Paul. Um, and so Paul writes this letter. And you can read the tone in the first few chapters where he's, he's very clearly telling them that Jesus himself called me. Human didn't call me, a man didn't call me, Jesus called me. But then we get this moment in chapter 5 where he, he makes this adjustment, if you will, and he's starting to describe what his apostolic call is, but in verse 17, he makes it clear that what I'm about to describe is not just for me, but it's for every single person that's encountered Jesus. So let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 here. It says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And all of this is from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. Let me pause here just for a moment. This is Paul saying, hey, before I get farther in the description, your faith has to be personal. Right? You can't live on anybody else's faith. You and Jesus have to have a relationship. And here's what I know, too, is there's people in this room that you got a bit of a track record before Jesus. And, you know, when I personally gave my life to Jesus at 18, this became my life verse because I had accumulated a testimony. And, and I'm so thankful that by the blood of Jesus, I'm no longer who I used to be. But now through the blood of Jesus Christ, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, head and not the tail, above and not beneath, a son of God, and so are you. So anytime the voice of the enemy tries to condemn you, just remind him that you are seen through the lens of a bloodstained cross. Your sin has been wiped away. You are new. You are not who you used to be. And let me talk to some of the, 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 the vet Christians for a moment. You've been following Jesus for a little bit. The gospel 
you know, we, we never graduate from the message of the gospel. You know, I've, I've heard people say, we just talk about the gospel all the time. Can we go to deeper theological matters? I'm like, no. The gospel that saved you is the gospel that sustains you. And listen, I love theology. I'm literally the pastor of biblical studies at the Father's house. But it's the message of the gospel that keeps you going. It's the message of the gospel that freed you from sin. It's the message of the gospel that's going to continue to keep you free from sin. It's all about the gospel. And so it's got to be personalized. We've got to understand it. And, and maybe you're in the room and you're like, I don't believe any of this. First of all, I want you to know you're welcome at this church. Maybe you're, you're just trying to figure out what does it mean to follow Jesus. I don't really know. I want you to know this is a great church to be a part of. This is a place you can ask questions. This is a place you can bring your doubts, and people are going to explain what the faith means. But I want to be, I want to explain what the gospel is very quickly, the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that all of us are born broken. We're born in what the Bible calls sin. Sin means to miss the mark. It means that the mark of God's perfection and holiness, none of us can get there. None of us can change our condition. We can't fix ourselves. We can't get ourselves a better nature. We need a divine intervention to fix the condition we're in. So God himself puts on flesh and blood. He lives a perfect, sinless life. It says in Hebrews that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Isaiah 53 says he's a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. So God in the flesh experiences the full gamut of what it means to be a human. But he didn't sin. He lived a perfect life, something that none of us can do. And then he goes to the cross, paying its penalty for you and for me. And the Bible says that when we believe Jesus is God, that we believe his sacrifice on the cross paid for our sins, we turn from our sinful life and give him our life, salvation comes. That's the gospel. We never graduate from that. So Paul starts by saying, hey, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. But when it is personal, now you got some responsibilities. Let's continue on in verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for sin, so that we can be made right with God through Christ. So this portion, we have two observations. Number one is you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. When you've encountered the goodness of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, you've been entrusted with this message, this ministry of reconciliation. And again, when you jump back to the Koine Greek for reconcile, it's this word catalogue. And it simply means exchange. It's this idea of being returned back to favor. It's you standing before a judge. You are dead to rights. They have all the evidence, all the proof. The sentencing is about to come. And then someone else steps in front of you and says, I will take the charges so they can go away innocent. It's the picture that we get with Jesus and Barabbas. 
But Barabbas is this murderer that deserves to be condemned. But Jesus said, I will be condemned so he can go away innocent. That is the message of reconciliation. So when you experience the goodness of Jesus, you've been entrusted with the message. And it says, we plead with you. You are called to go out and to plead with people. Be reconciled to God. There is an exchange available. Our brokenness for his wholeness. He became sin so we could become the righteousness of God. There's got to be some passion behind it. You have been entrusted with the message that an exchange is available. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. But not only are we entrusted with this message, but the Bible says now, and this is the second thing, is that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone who goes in the authority of a sovereign ruler and speaks on their behalf. So not only do you have a message, but you have an authority that is not your own. You get to walk in the authority of the risen Savior. Because of the finished work of the cross and the infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit, you can stand in an authority that you didn't deserve and none of us earn. But it's because of who Jesus is. And we have a saying at the Father's house that life is short, eternity is real, and people matter most. It's my, I've been praying for you guys all week, and, and I just pray that something stirs in your spirit. That you would be uncomfortable as long as you know there's people far from God. God in his sovereignty has chosen us as messed up as we are to be his voice box. So Paul says when you encounter Jesus, you have a responsibility. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. The, the power has a purpose. So right now I'm gonna move into a time where I give you the illusion that I'm closing. Eleven minutes and twenty-seven seconds. So it's on the clock, but they told me the clock doesn't matter. So we'll call in lunch. Just kidding, kidding. But what I want to do as we as we kind of wrap up today is I want to challenge you with two different things. If you're entering into a brand new year, I want to give you a challenge um, in two different ways. Because we're called to advance the kingdom of God both personally and, and, and also as being witnesses, one heart, one life at a time. So the two challenges I want to give you as you're entering into a brand new year is number one is obediently pursue opportunities to be a witness. Obediently pursue opportunities to be a witness. If you were to give yourself a grade on your walk with Jesus this year, let me just ask, was your Christianity about you or was it about others seeing Jesus? If you were to be honest with yourself, was your Christian life more about consuming or giving? So the truth is, one of the best marks of someone that's um, encountered Jesus is that they live a life of generosity. The most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave. And I'm not just talking about financially, though that's awesome. 
I mean, your lobby is awesome. But I'm talking about your life. Our life should be on the altar for Jesus and people. We live as a welcome mat to people. Listen, I don't ask those questions to try to condemn anybody because his mercy is new every single morning. You can never exhaust the grace of Jesus. But I can promise you, if you ask the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities to witness, he will give them to you. And he will give them at inconvenient moments. You'll be getting produce at Rayleigh's and that one. But, you know, I've often wondered that maybe the reason we don't see as many miracles is because we're not taking as many steps of faith. Maybe the reason we don't see them miraculous as often as we want to is because we're so concerned about image at times. What if we actually walked by faith and not by sight? And we walked in the spirit. So I want to challenge you to specifically, intentionally look for opportunities to be a witness. The second thing I want to challenge you with, and this is so important, is in this next year, Pursue more of the Holy Spirit. You need the power to fuel the purpose. you got to have the power of God in your life. Our churches need more of the power of God. When you look throughout the Gospel of Acts, as you all know, when the power shows up, it's a platform for the preaching of the Gospel. So we need the power of God. And every individual one of us, we need to be filled up to overflowing. And, you know, Paul, he writes to, the church in Ephesus, and in, Ephesus, in, in, um, in chapter 5, he's given some pastoral insight on how to live a holy, godly life. But let me read this to you in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this portion right towards the end where he says, be filled with the Spirit, and, and back to the Greek here for a moment, but the grammar here is what's called the present tense, which I think a better interpretation would be be being filled with the Spirit. What he's saying here is you need to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And do you know why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit continually? Because we leak. Listen, I know some of y'all had a moment with Jesus during worship, but someone else in here is going to cut you off in the parking lot, and it's gone. You're telling them they're number one with an unholy finger in the church parking lot? I know it's not Bridgeway. That's the Father's house. That's our people. <laughs> but we got to be filled up because we leak. And even as we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, I know that's like a, it's an ethereal idea. Like, how do we do that? And I want to make it real practical. And for some that might come from, you know, more mainline denominations or backgrounds, this might almost sound sacrilegious to you, but let me explain it with the Bible. Is if you want to be full of the Holy Spirit, you need to be friends with the Holy Spirit. Paul, right at the, the very last verse in 2 Corinthians, 
says, let the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You gotta be friends with the Holy Spirit. You have to personally spend time with the Spirit of God. You have to open up your Bible for yourself and allow God to speak to you. You gotta pray for yourself. You gotta begin to worship through song on your own without a band. Because hear me, there is a song only you can sing. But as you lift up your voice and you thank God for his goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness in your life, his mercy in your life, something begins to shift. Listen, in my life right now, I've showed you I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So those of you who are parents know that life is crazy. And, And I'm keenly aware in this season how much I need the Holy Spirit because we're just impressed we kept them alive so far. <laughs> but as far as raising them in this state and this country and, and trying to get them to love God and get saved, because God knows they need salvation. If you ever doubted that we're sinners at birth, just hang around a toddler. <laughs> but you know, I've just come to a point where I know, man, I, I gotta have the Holy Spirit because I'm not as gentle as I need to be not as patient as I need to be. There's stuff that comes out of me that I'm like, man, that is, I need the Holy Spirit. And so in this season of life, the only time I get any kind of quiet time is 5 a.m. So I wake up at 5 a.m. every day and I have this green leather chair that I sit in. I open my Bible. The first thing I pray is Holy Spirit speak to me. I begin to read the word for myself and and I pray for my wife, pray for my kids. I pray that God would protect the, their innocence and the angels would surround them. And I pray for my pastors. I pray that God would produce fruit inside of me. And then I'll begin to lift up my own voice and I just declare his goodness. And I was here this summer and I talked about that. I've dealt with depression and anxiety in my life. And there's so many times I just lift my voice and say, Jesus, thank you. You've given me the mind of Christ. God, the joy of the Lord is my strength. That God, you've always been faithful. When I was faithless, you're faithful. God, that your mercies are new every single morning. Jesus, I come with just thanksgiving today. God, you've always been good. You've always been true. Something begins to shift in my spirit. And listen, I'm not telling you that angels descend on my time with Jesus every morning. But the Holy Spirit will show up and breathe on these passages of Scripture. All of a sudden, I get supernatural wisdom that I wouldn't have before. And I'm living kinder than I used to be. And there's more grace and more peace in my life. If you want more of the Holy Spirit, you have to be friends with the Holy Spirit. And I promise you, God will breathe on your discipline. The power of God is for a purpose. We're called to advance the kingdom of God. We do that by living holy lives and by being a witness to all of those around us. Man, I've been just praying for you guys and I felt in my spirit there's people in, in this room that you've, uh, man, you used to spend hours in the word of God. And when you first got saved, you were 
so excited to get into the word and to learn and, and prayer. But as life happens, that's kind of fallen by the wayside. I just felt the Holy Spirit to say, tell them I miss them. To come back. To come back. He's waiting for you. You know what it says in, in Scripture? Let me just read a couple verses to you. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Psalm 27, 8, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And so my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. That's an open invitation for you today to be full of the spirit of God, to live a life of purpose, where you are desperate for God to move, desperate for God to speak, desperate to be used by him. Man, I just believe, and I know so many awesome things have already happened at this church. But as the old adage goes, the best really is yet to come. I'm praying that 40 weeks of seed is gonna have a harvest in 2024 where this church is so full of the presence of God and the spirit of God that people walk in and in a moment they're convinced of who Jesus is. You are a carrier of the presence and the spirit of God. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. But that power has a purpose. And listen, as full as this service is, there are still empty seats. And every one of those empty seats represents someone that's far from Jesus. And it's our job to be the, the messengers of reconciliation. The power has a purpose. Come on, let me pray for you guys today. Jesus, I love you. God, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. God, I thank you for this church. God, you're so faithful. You're so faithful, God. And I pray right now, for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit over this place. God, I pray a fresh desperation for every person. God, I pray we'd get to a point where we realize that we need you above everything else. That, God, we would prioritize spending time with the Spirit of God. And I, God, I pray as they step into this next year, this place would be marked, God, by fresh, peop fresh people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. God, I pray every person in this room, you would put a, a face in their mind right now of someone that's far from God. God, I pray you would wake people up in the middle of the night to pray and to intercede for those far from God. God, help us to see like you see, to feel like you feel. Break our heart for what breaks your heart, God. God, I pray this place would be so full of the gifts of the Spirit. God, every member, as they find their gifts, they would thrive and they would step in and they wouldn't settle for consumerism, but they would be a part, a vital part of building the house of God. And so, Jesus, we give you the honor. We give you the glory. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen.